And good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is session number 39 of season five. Uh, Dave is not able to uh, join us here uh, this evening. He may be able to pop in later on. But in the meantime, uh, I'm joined this evening by Nick and Marie from our writer's room as we prepare to discuss the penultimate episode of season five, the first episode of the two-part Dagor Bragalach uh, 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 war cinematography spectacular uh, that, we, that we get here. Um, uh, which I, which I, and we have a full script. Nick wrote the script here for this episode, so uh, very good. I was, it was, uh, it was, it was very, it was very gripping. I was feeling, uh, I was feeling oppressed by the end, which I think was about what I was supposed to be feeling by the midway point in the Dagor Bragalach, um, especially since like pretty much almost none of the good things had happened yet yes. <laughs> right like yeah. so so like there are gonna be some 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 highlights but they but they haven't happened um yes. so yeah yeah it's a uh, fairly unrelenting the episode uh, uh the action in this episode um but before we uh get into the horrible depressing stuff of everybody dying and being burned to death first more cheerful matters and indeed what isn't more cheerful than that i could have used that segue for practically anything however However, um, we have something quite cheerful today, which is uh, the beginning of our fall fundraising campaign, which just launched last night. So um, I encourage you to go to signumuniversity.org slash fund, which is this page here. Um, and you can find out a little bit about uh, sort of the focus of our campaign. You can see the schedule. I would particularly draw your attention to the annual webathon at the end on the 16th of October, uh, which is when a whole bunch of things are going to be happening. But uh, the, one of the important ones is that I'm going to be doing my State of the University address, um, in which I'm going to explain our exciting new program, the space program that we are launching uh, in December, um, Signum Portals for Adult Continuing Education. Um, and uh, it is going to be a lot of fun. So um, so that's happening. Lots of other things happening. Um, our donor appreciation program. So just many thanks to everyone who has donated to support Signum University. And we just encourage folks to uh, remember if you enjoy our programming, I would strongly encourage you uh, to consider making a tax deductible donation uh, so that you can help Signum to continue its work and programs like this to continue to exist. Um, and also, I wanted to point out one last thing about that, um, is that uh, we are doing a special uh, drawing So, uh, in, for our campaign this year. Every week, I'm doing a drawing where we're giving away one golden ticket, and the golden ticket is redeemable uh, for um, one of... Let me get my bull page back. Um, from... Uh, basically for, for something from any one of our programs. Well, not Mythgard, because everything at Mythgard's already free, so we can't give that away for free. Um, or rather, we already do, is the problem. Um, but, um, uh, so you can get, if you if you win one of our golden tickets, you can redeem it for uh, one of our space modules, uh, for a month of one of our Signum Path classes, uh, for a month of Signum uh, Academy Clubs subscription for our K-12 clubs, or for one of our Anytime Audits from our graduate program, you know, connected with our graduate program. So um, 
uh, we'll, we'll be making one of those drawings every Wednesday evening. Um, and everybody who makes a donation to Signum University during the course of that week is entered into that drawing. And that includes, of course, people who have set up monthly, recurring monthly donations. If your donation falls in that week, you get entered into that one. And everyone who has a monthly donation will be entered into uh, one drawing uh, during the course of the campaign here. So um, anyway... Just wanted to let folks know that that was happening. Other things that are happening are our regional moots this very week, as is indeed the day after tomorrow is New England moot, um, which is uh, really exciting. Our very first hybrid regional moot ever uh, and our first regional moot of this annual cycle. We're going to be in Durham, New Hampshire uh, this coming Saturday uh, and uh, at uh, 9 a.m., I believe, is when we're beginning. Um, And uh, you can still sign up. Oh, you can still sign up for both uh, on-site or online uh, participation. Um, But I did want to emphasize that the sessions are going to be recorded, so if you sign up for... um, if you sign up for digital uh, for digital attendance at this uh, or um, in person attendance at this, then you get access to um, our archives, uh, the recordings of all of the sessions from that uh, from that moot, which is pretty fun. So there we are. That is what's happening this weekend, and a mere fortnight thereafter comes Middle Moot out in Waterloo, Iowa. Um, uh, where Mike Drought is coming to be the plenary speaker. So you can come and meet Mike Drought and uh, hear him speak, which is always uh, great. And then um, we're going to have a great time there. So um, uh, very good. Yes, and if you uh, if you have a monthly donation and you want to um, uh, talk about, you know, maybe changing it or you know, if you want to increase it, which I think is a great idea, um, you can send an email to donate at signumu.org. Just uh, donate at signumu.org, and we can help you with that. All right. Um, Let us now go to the depressing stuff. So here is the map of Northern Beleriand, which is where everything that happens in this episode happens. Um, We have... So the important things to remember, right, is we have the three basic theaters of action. So we're just going to, like... Do a little quick review here so that we're prepared to uh, kind of be throwing out these terms uh, uh, all the time. Um, so we have uh, you know, Dorthonian, which is this highland here in the middle. Ladros, where the humans are, are over here. Um, now we have um, Angrod and Ignor up over here on the left-hand side, right? Yes. That's yeah. Um, so they're both on this same area but they're not actually particularly close to each other right they're not uh, they're not they're not geographically like next door to each other they're in the anything. same theater but not in the in the same battle right yeah separated by a substantial peer, you know, uh, space here and then over here on the right hand side is where the sons of Feanor are and they're going to be divided into two different places we have uh, the March of Mithros over here which is where we've got the you know uh, Magor's Gap and then we have the Pass of Aglon over here um, now Ilana was wondering and I can't remember either actually what the scale of this map is this map looks like it's probably on the order of about 300 miles wide. Does that sound about right, Marie? I remember reading somewhere, we figured out at some point that it, uh, Dorthonian is about 150 miles across. Okay. Right. That sounds about correct. I know we looked it up when we were trying to do um, the 
previous battle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, because we were trying to figure out how long it would take to get from Himring to the fence of Sarek. <laughs> right, right. In a reasonable amount of, you know, like what is the time scale for that? So we, we did look everything up then, and it, there is a number for how wide Darthonian is. The question is, does like does that number go from where to where? Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, I think it is 150 miles, but like, does that include the Gondolin bit? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but still, yeah, it's but a ballpark. It's it not, you know, 800 miles across, you know, so, no, no. yeah. Yeah. Okay, but it, but it's also not 20 miles across either. So, uh, right. you know, it does it does give the, the basic scale. And then, of course, we have over here on the Western Front, we have uh, Fingolfin and Fingen uh, and all of those who are going to be, and who are not, in fact, under assault uh, during the Dagor Bragalok. The offensive from Angband in the north comes straight down across Argawan, breaks primarily upon Dorthonian, and then also sweeps around to occupy the Sons of Feanor over here. By which, of course, Morgoth corrects the mistake that was made in the Dagor Aglareb by our construction, right, in that the Sons of Feanor were left free to come in to the rescue, basically, uh, from the side. They get pinned down over here uh, so that Morgoth can carry on uh, here, especially in the Central Theater, more or less uh, uncontested. He... uh, um, he hopes and believes. And of course, one of the big questions is, is uh, Finrod going to make it up? But of course, Finrod is in Nargothrond, which is off the map, down to the south, substantially south um, of everybody else here. Um, Which really, you know, kind of brings up um, a really sort of fascinating question about Finrod that never really gets answered. Like, he's not... Contra- I mean, okay, there's Tulsirian, right? There's Minas Tirith there, which he built. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, minor contribution to the leaguer, you know? And the fact that he's down there and his armies can't do anything to help when, um, you know, the assault actually comes does kind of suggest a, a sort of... Um, a weakness in his uh, uh, in his tactical position down there, or I mean, like he's really on his own, um, and it's not um, it's right. not a huge help uh, to everybody else up there. Perhaps right. that's deliberate. That when Turgon removed himself to Gondolin, he removed a large portion of the forces of the Noldor and the Sindar with him, and when Finrod built Nargothrond he also removed a good chunk mm-hmm. of who can show up for a battle on the northern front there. So both of them made decisions to create a safe haven not on the front line, and therefore their armies are not on the front line. They're <laughs> right. not part of the league. Right. Yeah. So, so yes, uh, Tulsirian was built earlier before his... When he was actually playing with the team there, yeah. yeah. Right, and so yeah. it was... A very important strategic place. So Finrod understands strategy, right, right. But uh, Nargothrond is not about helping the leaguer, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Fingolfin uh, maybe has opinions on this, <laughs> right? Uh, well, one could argue that the reason why this vision was sent to Finrod 
to build Nargothron as a retreat and a refuge uh, is specifically so that an entire huge group of people wouldn't get toasted along with Ignor and Angrod up there at um, in Dorthonian. Yeah. Just more people to get incinerated when when <laughs> the dragon comes to town. Right. Or more people to assist with the resistance of the incineration. I mean, that's that's the obvious trade-off, right? Maybe. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, no, it's... But, but it, Omo seems to think... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Omo did seem to have suggestions about that. You know, every time I look at the Silmarillion map, I notice something that I never really focused on before. So, like, right now, what I'm looking at is like, man, I never... I forgot that Dimbar stuck in that far, like drove such a large wedge between Brethel and Neldereth. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I was, I, I'm used to thinking of Dimbar just as that region, but I, I kind of in my head imagine Nandungorthab, you know, with Dimbar there at the edge of it being like a band, right? Whereas Dimbar is like a, it's like it's a whole wedge sticking down there, almost dividing. Brethel is more separate than I tend to remember in my mind when I'm reading. But anyway, sorry, that's just what it, it's the thing. There's always always a thing. There's always a thing. And I, uh, that's my thing today. Okay, anyway. um, Okay, so Angrod and I, so let me go, let me, uh, let me bring up the other thing. Because it's one of uh, uh, Nick's maps here. So this is the map of the initial situation, right? So we have um, uh, Ignor and then Angrod, right? Both of them are together, basically, but they're together over here on the western side of the northern face of Dorthonian. And we have the House of Beor over here in Ladros on the other side. And then Mm -hmm. we've got um, Fingolfin inland Mm -hmm. at Lake uh, uh, Mithrim, and then Fingon on the mountains, right, at... uh, um, Baradithol. And then, who's this? The House of Hador? Floating around? Doing their scouting thing? Yep. Galdor and Gundor are out on the plain of Ardgallon when this opens up. Right. Right. Okay, then we've got the Fortunately, quite close to Baradithol, or bad things would have happened to them. Right. Right. Yes. Um, uh, And, of course, Finrod way down here in uh, Nargothrond. And then we've got the uh, uh, conveniently numbered sons of Feanor <laughs> over here. Uh, son number one here, Mithros at Himring. Um, we've got Maglor and Caranthir um, cozily together um, enjoying some nice quality time at the gap mm-hmm. of at Maglor's gap over here. And then we've got uh, the bad news team, Kurufin and Kelagorm over here um, in the at the pass at Aglon. And that, so we've got Mithros at the central stronghold here, the strongest fortification of all of the Noldor, essentially, um, right here in the middle of the line. Um, but there are two gaps. There are two weak spots in this line, both of which have been defended, both of which have, have uh, uh, you know, defenses erected uh, on them. And you've got two of the brothers in each one of those places. And then you still have Amras uh, down here... Um, you know, in his artistic community, like, I don't know what he's doing down there, smoking weed and, and minding his own business pretty much, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but, 
Anyway, they're going to send messages to him and tell him to get up in a hurry, right? But anyway, so this is where we are at the beginning of the episode. Now, let's get back to the episode itself. Hang on. First, we just talked about the frame last time. The frame of this episode is the coup, right? Folks are getting murdered in the frame in this? Okay. I think so. The queen was murdered in the last. Queen frame. was murdered in the last uh, episode, but like the yes. councilors and everybody. The, the council is getting uh, picked off in this. Right, the, yes. the, the council is getting like last scene of Godfathered uh, in the frame. Is it yes. at the at the at the beginning or the end of the episode? Um, that's happening kind of at the beginning, and then um, at the end of the, this episode, the this the older son escapes. Oh, it's the escape <laughs> so from prison. Imprisonment. Yes. That's when we see the uh, sacrifice of the, the sacrifice of the child. Uh, right. Of course, I'm forgetting. It's my favorite thing. It's the juxtaposition of the parade and the mm-hmm. uh, and the battle. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as the fire sweeps across the right before the fire sweeps across the plain, the kid on the elephant is riding down the street, throwing yes. rings into the crowd. Right. Yes. Okay. Correct. Right. 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 Got it. Just wanted to make sure I had the proper images in my head for the juxtapositions here. Okay. Parade. So, yeah. Parade. But That's e- it. But evil parade. Definitely evil parade. Evil parade. <laughs> evil pra- there's the evil parade. And then the there's... Black parade. Yeah. Then there's the really evil parade with fire. So, okay. So, now, we're ten years after the last episode. Now, the last episode was the, um, was the Athrobath, right? Didn't we have... Did, did we jump ahead in time at yes. the end of that? We did. Yes. Because we, we had the we glow had of like fire a, in the... A teaser for, for it? The the final montage of episode 11 uh, catches up those 10 years. Okay. So it's really no time at all passing from the end of one to from the From the very the final shot, yeah. Right. But the bulk of what was happening was 10 years previously, so just to remind people that this is 10 years later. But yeah, okay, so 10 years passes at the end of 11, not at the beginning of 12. Right, right. Okay, so Finrod has left Ladros ten years ago. Okay, right. Which is why he's in Nargothron right now. Like he's because <laughs> right. the thing is, we showed him up there on the front lines. Just you know, unfortunately, bad timing, Finrod. <laughs> right, right. Wrong decade, Finrod. Wrong decade. Um, uh, but um, okay, great. Uh, so of the three different fronts that we were just describing, Dorthonian, which is in the center. Um, everything is overrun and everybody flees or dies. Things go very, very badly indeed in Dorthonian. Um, uh, loved the Ilanel teaser, by the way. That's like uh, my favorite thing that will delight diehard Tolkien fans when they saw it in the episode, but won't mean anything to anybody else. You know, this one poor, uh, this one poor schmuck running around saying, Ilanel, where's Ilanel? Oh, man. Oh payoff to come um but um uh loved it so then the western front um in which they're just kind of helpless they're up there on the hills they've got a great view of everything that's happening um and they're they see ardgallon burned down and then overrun and they're trying a counterattack. essentially fingen doesn't have the manpower to actually go out until fingolfin gets there right 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 um, so yes, they're not in their keep there. They're not in any danger, but they're also not doing any good. Um, and then on the eastern front, 
they are basically being attacked in all three places. Um, all three of the, you know, both of the passes and pinning Mithros down at Himring there as well. Um, uh, okay. Um, and of course, the dragon and the Balrogs in various places um, is uh, also... Now, it was funny because uh, one of the effects, which I loved, by the way, um, in this episode, is we get we get Glaurung at the beginning, right? Um, overrunning walls and and uh, 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 causing significant trouble. Um, but um, then, you know, Gothmog comes in and is the real problem, right? You know, we have that, like, the horrible moment when Gothmog comes in and starts killing folks. Um and then we switch back to Glaurung, right? Um, the focus switches back to Glaurung, and he's, like, the real problem. And I don't know, like, honestly, before uh, Gothmog showed up again, I'd, like, completely forgotten about Gothmog. I was just, like, focused on Glaurung. And then Gothmog shows up again, and I'm like, oh, holy crap, I forgot about Gothmog. That's really bad, too. Um yeah. Uh, yeah. Like dragons, you don't want to turn your back on <laughs> yes. live Balrogs. Yes, either. yes. <laughs> Never laugh at live Balrogs. Uh, yeah. Is at least is true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. So obviously, having so many things to juggle in this episode um, because this war is taking place in so many different places. To try to make sure the audience didn't forget about the dragon, um, we began each act with Glara. Right. What is Glaron doing? So, um, I'm sorry that you forgot about the Balrogs for a little bit there. No, <laughs> it was good. It was it was a great effect. Game, but, yeah, it was a great effect. It seems like they're only doing the one thing, but then like, right. they can move. So now yeah, else. exactly. And they show up again in a completely different place uh, yeah. unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. No, that was good. I I, I liked it. I liked it. Um, uh, but yeah, it is a lot to to keep up with. Yes. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, one of the things that we decided very early on when we were discussing the episode, was to do a lot of very high angle shots of the various, like, getting broad sweeping, like essentially from like airliner height almost in some okay. of these instances, um, so that we could see what was happening. Um, good establishing shots of where we are and who's there are absolutely critical. Um, right. There's a there's a lot of banner stuff in this episode. Um, yeah, Nick was very careful to establish that when you see a new fortress, you see whose banner is flying. Whose over banner it. is there? Yes, yes. So that which yeah, which is part of the story. It's not just like window dressing either. It's it's right. literally part of the story, and it's also going to be part of the story in episode thirteen as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Like the, um, like the, you know, when is Finrod going to be here? And like shot of Tolsirion with Finrod's banner still not yeah. there. Right. You know, yeah, so you can yeah. see uh, at yeah. a glance. Nope. Still just Orodreth, uh sitting there and not able to do much. Um, and one but, of the critical pieces of that is that when is that we know that Barahir is waiting for Finrod's banner to appear right. above uh, Minas Tirith, and so when we see it, right, you'd have to be really paying attention, but you would know. Ah, Barahir knows. Right, right. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, 
Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. I thought that that worked pretty well. Okay, so let's think about them um, sort of one by one here. We had noted that Dorthonian, the land of pines, has wooden fortifications, chiefly, um, which are not optimally suited to repelling an oncoming flame, not to mention the dragon. Um, the, my least favorite part of this uh, is uh, the part where we, like, prove this snooty sons of fan or right uh, in their low opinion <laughs> of the fortifications in, in Dorthonian. Um, they get they make some mistakes in this episode. It's they fun. do. They do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of... I mean, the problem wasn't that they were incorrect. The problem was just that they were jerks. <laughs> so, and maybe could have helped instead of criticizing. But, um, uh, yeah... Yeah. Um, brief uh, in no defense of the yeah. fort the defenses in Dorthonian, um, I know last time Brian was careful to make sure that they had uh, painted them all with a lime wash that right. was supposed to make them slightly more fireproof than they would have been otherwise. It's just dragon fire. Right. You know, I mean, that's... It, it, and volcano. And lava, right. yeah, yeah, like, exactly. The, the type of the level of firefighting they're having to do here is is there wasn't this was had, not a preventable disaster. Right. Had we been talking about like orcs shooting flaming arrows or something like that, they'd have been yeah. okay. They'd have been fine. Yeah. But yes, um, nobody expects not only Glaurung but a lava flow for crying out loud. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. And and I imagine that this lava flu flow is at least um, on the temperature levels of Mount Doom, uh, which I have figured out from calculating that it is hotter than actual lava because actual lava won't even melt steel. Um, and presumably people in Middle Earth can melt steel, which means that the one ring must be able to withstand temperatures that hot. Right. Well, yeah, True. You need a higher heat to melt gold than steel. Right. Exactly. Uh, but even that which can melt ordinary gold um, is uh, insufficient for the one ring. So, yes. Uh, uh, no forge anywhere. <laughs> and, and obviously the one ring is not made out of gold. It's made out of magic gold. Yeah. So, right. at the end of the day, the fact that you can look up the melting points of these things is irrelevant. Right. right. But you're right. Mount Doom's lava has to be hotter because it, it, none of that would make any sense if it weren't. Yes. Yes. Um, and I agree with you, Nick. It seems only fair to imagine that uh, Morgoth's volcano mountains are not <laughs> cooler and tamer than Sauron's volcano mountain. Um and they're not your grandfather's volcano mountains either. That's right. Yeah. No, I guess they're just not. <laughs> so, all right. So, so yes. Yeah, so the um, wooden defenses not holding up. Now, a note about uh, a note about Glaurung here, uh, as this is his first appearance. One thing that I noticed, and. Yeah, one thing that I noticed, and um, I think I liked it, but I just wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, Glaurung, 
Glaurung's relatively tame in that all he does is like beat things up and burn them. That is to say, we never see Glaurung even attempting to... Ex- I, I was thinking about this because there are several times, especially with Karinthir, where like Glaurung looks eye to eye with somebody. Like that happens a couple times in this episode. And every time it did, I was like... Okay, <laughs> like what happens now, right? Um, and nothing happened, which I think is fine. Um, of course, I mean, as you know, what I'm thinking about is Glaurung's. I mean, what makes? Yes, Glaurung is a massive, huge, strong, fire-breathing monster, and that's bad news all by itself. But that's like the lesser part of his bad news later on, right? I mean, the fact that he has this power of mind and will that can cow his enemies and. Um, uh, I mean, poor Children of Hurin here. I just finished rereading The Children of Hurin recently, so it's very fresh in my mind. Um, and uh, we don't see him exerting any of that kind of force of personality here or even attempting to, do we? So the question would be, what um, character would we want him to toy with? Right. Because he does have the ability to freeze someone in place so they just have to stand there and then he like squashes them and kills them which we showed in the first instance when we introduced him in the finale of season four so if we wanted to like randomly kill an elf who can't escape glaron we can do that again but if you want to do something more dastardly then we have to like think of what that would be yeah, yeah. Right, no, so you, you'd I, have to, like Glaring would have to have a plot or a plan for this. Yeah, and it's not. We're not to the children of Heron yet. Like he doesn't not, have a plan not. other than this yeah. is just and fun he, to wreck He would have to speak, and it's just not the right. Like that, we don't have a place for that story. For dialogue, yeah. Um, Agreed. Brian and, and I were speaking uh, recently about his episode that he was writing. Because um, he had originally named Glaurung in the episode. The, he said the elves would by now have named him. And I said, yeah, but he hasn't been introduced as a character yet. Right. Right. He's still a monster. And yes. so we're not, like, until he's a character, we can't really do that. And, you know. And, and that's exactly don't... what I was thinking. I mean, he's basically being used like a blunt object throughout this whole yeah. episode. You know, which again is fine because I agree with you, um, Marie. If he's gonna like ensorcel somebody, right? I mean, if he's gonna put like you know the full like Neonor on somebody or something like that, right? Um, there has to be a, a that that's got to pay off, right? There's got to be a plan, and we're going to Baron and Luthien after this. We don't have time for that, right? We're not going to integrate that into the Baron, you know. So um, maybe. Maybe we kind of compromise. Oh, well, so, so there's like compromise. One of my impulses is to set it up, right? Um, to give, because it could look a little odd if the dragon is just being continually used as a battering ram again and again. And then later on, we're like, oh, gentle audience, um, 
by the way, you should also know that this dragon you've already seen a whole bunch of times who's just been stomping on things and setting them on fire also is an incredibly subtle thinker and devious plotter and has this power over people's wills and minds, though we have not revealed that yet. Like, there's a chance that could be jarring in some kind of way later on and could kind of strain belief. And so, it, so one, I have this impulse, right, to do something to set that up, like to just to prepare people for the fact that this is in Glaurung's arsenal um, so that when he uses it later on, it's not going to just look like we're just, you know, um, buffing him up for a later, you know, sequence. Um, but the counter to that is just as you say, like we'd have to pay it off somehow. We can't have any long term scheme beginning. We just don't have time for that because we want to, we, we're, we're, we don't have time to run that in the background during the Baron and Luthien story. So, um, so clearly that would have to wait. The potential sort of compromise, um, uh, the potential sort of compromise situation there or, or option would be, um, the near knife, right? Because before we get into children of Hurin territory, we do still have his actions in the near knife. Um, and we have much more scope to have follow up and pay off from that during the chaos of the post near knife in which he is a major character. I mean, he's basically going to be the king of Southern Beleriand. Glaurung is right. I mean, he's going to, he's going to be essentially in charge of everything South of the paths of Syrian. Right. Um, uh, so, I mean, he's going to become, and especially, of course, as during the Baron and Luthien story, the other captains of the bad guys are dropping like flies, right? Um, somebody's got to fill the void. I mean, what has been Sauron, um, you know, Gothmog and Sauron with Sauron's lieutenants, right? All of Sauron's lieutenants are going to be dead and Sauron is going to be driven off. Um, so it's going to be basically Gothmog and Glaurung left after season six. Right, and we've got still a bunch of time there. So Glaurung is going to become almost the big bad, basically. I mean, Morgoth is always the big bad, but as far as like what people see and and actually active in the theater of action, um, Glaurung is going to become really sort of the central villain for probably a couple seasons. So that is to say, we'll have plenty of time to uh, to uh, pursue other story options there. And I, I agree with you that, like, waiting until the Nurnice to show that Glarong can do mind control kind of stuff would be detrimental to making the audience believe us that we know who this character is. Mm-hmm. But we did show him doing at least a little bit of that in his right. intro. Okay. So, like, he did freeze an elf who then couldn't run away and then blasted the elf with fire so the elf died. Right. So, like, that happened. And there was a little bit of a the elves who were dealing with him figuring out don't look this guy in the eyes so like that part was figured out there so if we had maybe at least some of the elves somewhere say something like don't look the dragon in the eyes that might clue the audience in that that is an issue especially because it was it was a kind of i mean it was a brief moment and it was a season ago now so right so that way we know he's not just a fire-breathing monster right there Or, alternatively, there's a bit um, in episode 13 where um, Amros is going to kind of rescue Caranthir, 
and to have Karen Thier kind of like this is outside the keep, right? Like at like a postern door that this little interaction happens. And if Karen Thier looks up and does make eye contact with Glarong from atop the keep, right, and is kind of like temporarily like held in place in that way, and Amras is able to you know, like grab him and snap him out of it or whatever, you know. Then we have now we have a, a named character who falls who falls into this, um, and it's kind of also reinforcing the dragon sickness thing, which I'm kind of hinting at in a few places um, in this with Karen Thier especially, yeah, 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 um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I, I, I yeah I think if we just take it a, a little bit further than we already have, then it reminds the audience that the dragon is. And I think that's all I really wanted. I mean, as I said, I, I didn't feel like it was a problem. Um, the There's a... As long as we don't forget about that and it doesn't look like we're just artificially adding it later, it's a really fun and effective trajectory. You know, he starts off as, last season, right, a fairly intimidating monster, which looks like it could really be a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And now he's a wrecking ball right now. He nobody can stand against him and everybody is yeah. terrified of him. Um, yeah. He's now a huge, terrifying monster. And then we add the other level. Right. Oh, and by the way. Right. He yeah. also uh, has is, you know, cunning, devious, cruel and has tremendous powers of will. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, two things. While we're on the subject of Galaron, two things that we definitely need to like bear in mind moving forward, um, because we are running out of time to deal with these two things. Uh, one, we do need to at some point introduce Galaron as a character before it come. It's jarring and shocking, as you say. Like it, right. it, it can be surprising, and people can be taken aback, but people can't be like, "Wait, what? Really?" Right. Um, and two, because I think I said a before, so now two. Yeah, Il- Ilana, he has not spoken yet. So, um, and two, um, we need to figure out how to get him out of Keep Hellavoin. Um, because <laughs> we've we're creating a little bit of a problem with us—not an insurmountable problem, but just something to think about moving forward. Is we have to get him out of keep Hellevorn, um so that he can participate in the near knife like he's supposed to uh, and Mythros is going to be doing some mopping up um, you know it's true keep Hellevorn, like it's a pretty attractive a cool... locale <laughs> yeah <laughs> for yeah. a dragon and, and the idea that he would be driven off leaving Caranthir's treasure behind like I I kind of need to know that story now. Um, well, luckily, I have an idea. We're have an entire season to do the lead up to the near night. I, so I, well, I'm thinking yeah. that's one of your plot lines for Glarong in that season. <laughs> right, right. I have an idea. Right. Yeah. My quick idea before I forget it, because I will. Um, he gets recalled. Um, the duel of Fingolfin with Morgoth and the sort of not full-blown crisis of confidence, perhaps, that it... But anyway, like, in the aftermath of that, 
Morgoth can recall him. Like Morgoth can like send a Balrog down to fetch mm. Glaurung back um, because he's not done with him. Um, and so he, because I agree with you, I don't see him leaving. I mean, he's got now a sweet horde to lie on. He's got, um, uh, not to mention, there's like dwarves nearby when you want them. And uh, I mean, yeah, that is a sweet, sweet location uh, for a dragon to settle down for his, uh, you know, for his golden years. Um, which for Smaug the Golden, or not Smaug the Golden, for, for Glaurung the Golden are, are long, long his golden years. Um, but anyway, yeah, so um, do we want to have him speak at all? That's the other thing that I'm thinking of. Like, it, so one thing that we could do, it, it's hard because like Glaurung speaking is a big deal. And I know that we're like waiting for a, you know, I don't, and we don't want to just blow that on a small moment. Right. But if you're talking, but this need to establish him as a character, one of the things that would, I think, imagining myself in the viewer position after reading the script, um, the, um, the one thing that would help me, I think, to see him as a character, or the thing I'd be struggling with, right, would be, he just, he looks like an attack dog. A really big, mm-hmm. really scary attack dog, but he looks like an attack dog, right? So if there were a moment when um, it was clear that he was in command, right, you know, that he's, at least where Gothmog was not, he's the one who I- is in charge, not He's not being sent off to, you know, no one is saying Sikkim boy and pointing towards yeah. Helivorn, right? He's, you know, for if 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 we could give Glaurung something like a leave them to me, I will deal with them myself moment, right? Um, as he's going to Helivorn. I, I have an, I have an idea. So, okay. well, th- two things. Uh, one, the at least it it should be. Um, and if it's not clear, we I can always make it more clear uh, in the script that um, that Glaurung. Hey, it's a Dave. Hey, Dave, welcome, welcome. That Glaurung is specifically choosing the Gap of Maglor and choosing to go after Calanthir. Um Now I've been I'm currently working on episode thirteen, and there's a moment um, when. Glaurung first attacks Keep Helivorn when he when he first breaches the gate and he starts immediately heading for the keep. And Karanthir is up on top of the gatehouse, which you know, it, uh Glaurung has just busted through and Karanthir just yeah, like realizes what is happening. Like he realizes right. what Glaurung's actually after he, here and yells thief in right. Quenya, right? And in the moment where Glaurung is attacking his mind towards the end of the episode, we can hear that same word possibly even in Caranthir's mind, so we're confused about whether, and like, now we're asking the question, did he actually, did Glaurung say that to him, right? right? Or did he, was, like, to 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 make it just a single word Mm-hmm. But like the the power of that is like I feel like that's that that's might be better than him just delivering an offhand line to 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 an underling. Here, you know? Here's my question: What's the payoff of him speaking? What are we saving him for? What's the moment when he's going to speak? 
Because right. I mean, if we save, if we don't, if we make him not speak, it was one thing to make him not speak in season four, right mm-hmm. during his debut, right. But if we make him not speak through the entirety of the dagger, like what are we saving him for? Like when is the moment which is going to be big enough for him to speak? Right. Well, that's that's the thing. Is is um. by choosing to not give him a story prior to mm-hmm. the finale of of episode uh, of season 4 we kind of set ourselves we we kind of did this uh, right. where we right. created this this burden and to have it come out in the middle of a battle it just feels really kind of like because that doesn't seem like an appropriate payoff to it whereas Whereas paying off him being able to speak by actually interacting with a named character, you know, that we mm-hmm. know, and we know Carinthia is a strong-willed character, and to have his will almost be broken down by Glaurung is, I think, a good kind of, at you know, now we're at least teasing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then, and it's know, something that he Glaurung would do, you know, and would uh, want to do. I mean, that kind of um, battle of wills with Karanthir is something that he would, you know, yeah. that he would Be- engage in. Because right immediately before this bit in that scene, Karanthir is trying to sneak stuff out through the postern door. He's trying to sneak out some of his horde, and he's and he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm so glad you're here. Help me get some of this stuff out." This <laughs> is like, no, <laughs> right? No, 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 no. Right, right. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. Is the I guess the, is the concern like, like, do we want to be careful not to telegraph? Like, do we want when he when he starts putting the whammy on people like you know like during uh children of Huron. do we want that to be a surprise and shocking and horrifying or or so do we want to make sure we don't telegraph that is that the concern well that's exactly the question is between um giving that up too soon on the one hand and <laughs> making it seem like a oh the by word... the way we didn't mention that he also had this power that he's not been yeah. using for some right. reason up yeah. until now right and all and hey, what do you know? He talks. Uh, right. It's right. It's it's I mean, it's almost like, oh, and P.S. For some reason, Captain America can uh, wield Mjolnir now. Like, it's all good. Right. So he can. It's OK for him to be able to fight uh, the Titan. Was, that was right? pretty well. I, I didn't telegraph. hate it. I didn't hate it. But it was a little bit. I. But I mean, I was. I they was telegraphed I, in Age of Ultron. They tell, yeah, I, well, they set it up there, but they, yeah. uh, but I don't know. I was, um, uh, I, although I didn't hate it, I was conscious of, uh, I, I was, I was, I was, um, suspending disbelief. I, I it was not, it was not impossible yeah. to suspend disbelief, but I had to suspend disbelief. Um, but anyway, anyway, I, 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 I just, just, just offering a little parallel there. Mm. That's all. That's all. Um, that, that is not the the most fun and surprising person picking up Mjolnir. By the way, the best yeah. picking up of Mjolnir happens where uh, in a comic where Thor, after a fight, he's kind of sitting on a curb and he's kind of like 
a little a little bummed out about something, and a uh, an EMT walks up to him. Random EMT. We don't. Even, I don't even think we see his face. <laughs> Random EMT walks up to him and just sets Mjolnir down. And says, "Hey, you dropped this," and walks away. <laughs> and we never see him again. That guy. <laughs> worthy. Okay. That's- that's actually cooler. Yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah. I like awesome. that. I like that. Um, but um, anyway, okay, yeah. So, um, great analogy. Yeah. The point being, you have to be very careful about introducing an ability later on if there was no hint that that ability was there. So right. we have to have hints all along where people can be like, "Ooh, that's what this was about," instead yeah. of a, "They just made that up just now, didn't they?" <laughs> Yeah, that's precisely what we want to avoid. And, and but now, the fact that the yeah. fact that we is irrelevant, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So I'm 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 okay, I'm definitely okay with um, I'm definitely okay with being caught. I I think we should have him talk so, sooner or later. We should have him. I think before the end of season five, he should talk during the battle somewhere. He, we should we should make it clear that he can speak. He doesn't have to do the whole I'm laying the psychic whammy on on somebody because again we don't as Maria as you were saying we don't have time for the fallout of a whole Neonor esque plot at this stage. But um, but I, I I don't think there's any reason to be uh, to be shy about the speaking. Um, why not Why not have him have a whole exchange with Carinthia? It doesn't have to be um, long, but I mean, but I, I have to admit also that like when he's sneaking in the side, if he's again, now I, this is spoilers to me, right? I, I don't, I don't know anything about this yet, but um, if there's a moment when Carinthia is sneaking in a side door to make off with bits of treasure, um, the um, opportunity to do a conversations with Glaurung there um, and have a really f- have a fun parallel, you know, some fun parallels between Glaurung's conversation with Carinthir and Smaug's with Bilbo is kind of, I mean, mm. that's kind of a fun opportunity, right? Okay, so if the first time we hear Glaurung speak is after Carinthir yells at him, it'll be like, oh, no one tried to talk to this guy yet. <laughs> Like everyone's been treating him as a monster. No one's actually like said something to him. So when Caranthir right. stands on the gate and yells "thief," if Glaron turns and looks back at him and says something, that yes. might work as an introduction. Or, or I mean, I like the idea, Nick, of him kind of like throwing it back at him later on, yeah. right? The thief yeah. thing. But I yeah. think I don't think it has to be super indirect. Like I think oh. they can, like he can, he can say. Now, Glaurung's style is not the same as Smaug's, right? So, you know, he's not going to speak to him in the same tone. He's not going to be as, like, you know, um, sort of, like, insultingly genial as Smaug is, you know, to Bilbo. Because the circumstances, of course, are quite different. And Carinthir is not Bilbo Baggins after all, right? Um, but... Um, but nevertheless, like, there are some parallels there. And so that, that he would... Um, um, because Maria, as you say, Carinthir did address him, right? And so for Glaurung to address him back and to, to you know spin his word back against him and mock him, because um, in, in this way, Nick, I'm thinking about what you were saying before about setting him up as a character, right? That is Glaurung's character, 
right? Behold your brother, a stabber in the dark, right? Uh, like the like the way that he takes things and twists them around and uses them yeah. against you and stuff. Um, uh, even and of course he's not wrong, right? Nothing that he says is actually a lie. There um, and similarly, he's right about the fact that Carinthir is as Nick, as you yourself were saying, he is in fact succumbing to dragon sickness, right? <clears throat> so if Glaurung turns around and mocks him for that with his own words, that seems to me very much in his character and a good way not only to re- reveal the fact that he A, speaks and is B, highly intelligent, but also it does enable us to reveal some of his personality too. So one thing I would be a little careful about putting too much of a conversation there mm-hmm. um, is the placement of the scene itself. So okay. the scene. Well, again, I know at, nothing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so. yeah. the, it, it falls in the midpoint of the episode. It's in between the. Um, it's in between a like the breaking of the assault of Himring and. Um, and Barahir, um, Barahir receiving his ring. Mm-hmm. So essentially, if it's too like, I just I would be careful about slowing down too much at this point because we're about to get into the real slow stuff. Um, you know, like Fingolfin's um, Fingolfin's forces haven't fully retreated back into Barad Ethel yet. So there's a number of things that I'd be a, a, a little bit careful with. Um, so I'd want to keep it kind of condensed. If, uh, you know, I would as, be as content with one sentence. Okay. Right. We, we don't need to do the full conversations with Smog no. thing here. Like, um, if he just said one sentence, the one sentence which shows, A, I can talk, B, I'm highly intelligent, C, yeah. I'm okay. cool and devious... Uh, D, I am perceptive enough to see what's going off on with you and to throw your words back at you. And then Karanthir and Amras, who apparently is there again, I, I'm guessing, um, I will just be like, holy crap, it can talk and run, right? Because, I mean, they're already uh, sufficiently intimidated by Glaurung, Um or whatever. Again, I don't know exactly what's happening there, but I assume some running is going to happen thereafter. Um, and so, yeah, like one cent or like one speech, like one short speech, um, could okay. show those things and and establish that and and give us even as like a, a, a teaser of his character, right? Of who he is and what he can do, so that later on when we hear him speaking and acting, it's not going to seem odd. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind is that we're about to reveal that another character can speak next season that we haven't revealed can speak yet. And that's who I'm going to have a few lines. Right. Mm-hmm. So the question of which of these characters did you want to surprise the audience with first of like, Oh no, it can talk. Right. <laughs> we um, probably do want to get the glaring thing out of the way in episode 13, if we possibly can. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like I said, Huan's going to sound like, you guys just made that up just now. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, like, since when could this guy talk? And honestly, he's had conversations with Kelogorm where, you know, Huan speaks dog and Kelogorm speaks dog. So everyone's happy right. there. It's just right. apparently Luthien doesn't speak dog. So he has to use Elvish with her. Right. And Baron. Right. Um, 
Yes. Yes. That is going to seem stranger. Um, setting up all the, uh, reestablishing the uh, prophecies of Huron, uh, of uh, Huon are going to be fun. Next, but that's a next season issue, so I won't think about that now. Um, but yes, you're right. Um, we're already going to have one unexpectedly talking animal <laughs> in the next season, so let's maybe st- uh, stick with the one there. Um, uh, and anyway, like I said, I, I feel like um, it was it was a good idea to not have him speak in season four, right? Um, but I feel like it's it's time. Like it's it it, it feels like it's you know. The Dagor Braglock is the revelation of Glaurung in his, you know, majesty, right? Um, and so, therefore, we're just, if we don't show any of that, we're just sandbagging him at this point for, you know, I think no no, no benefit, really. Um, but we're, you know, we're, we, we, will, we will not show the full whammy. You know, we will not show what he's really capable of, like with the Children of Hornin, um, until we get setups for that um but yeah thinking about his role in the dagor uh sorry in the uh near knife is going to be really interesting um because he's not going to be a siege weapon in uh in that uh battle so that's going to be fun but anyway okay um speaking of siege weapons um the mm-hmm. the rest of the dorthonian plot was relatively straightforward, I thought. Um, uh, that it seemed clear um, uh, their desire to have the refugees escape. The the one thing... Okay, there were two map-related questions I had. Where's, where's, my, where's yep. my map? Okay, here's my map. Um, the... Let's see. If Are I you able down. to zoom in on this at all? There you go. Okay. If I, um, all right, here we are. Okay. Um, all right. They're retreating through Dorthonian. One of the things that was really hard to convey in the narrative was I mean, this is a 150-mile retreat. This yes. is um, this is not a retreat. It's a journey with an army yes. chasing you, right? Yes. Um, so that was one issue that, I, um, that I, I'm wondering if we could... Like, the humans in Ladros are really exposed. They have a path of escape. But even the way that they referred to the Pass of Anach and heading down to, to Brethil um, and seeking refuge, if I didn't know the map already, I would have thought yeah. that that was closer than it is, basically, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like it totally conveyed you have got, like, ML Deer, you need to take the women and children yeah. and lead them on a 150-mile march to the pass and then go right. from there to Breath Hill. Um, so yeah. somebody needs to voice, like, we'll never make it. That's way yeah. too far. We're all yeah. going to get How can we travel that distance with them behind yeah. us? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. again, that it's not a retreat. It's, it's a it's journey. It's in there, but not. not yeah. There. yeah. I, I, well, yeah. and in fact, they don't all make it like right. like a bunch of them get caught you, right. you know so yeah it's 
it, so to make it clear that it's a very long way um, that the expectations are not that every single person is going to is going to make this escape. Yeah. And I think that um, either Baragund or Belagund would be a good person to have say something like that because they have wives and kids and right. and, and those are the people who they're going to be most concerned about here. Right. Right. Um, I um, mean, I think that in it's fact all, comes up later on, too. Although it's so. like a touch awkward. I mean, somebody could even literally say something like, um, you know, how are they going to do a journey of 150 miles with the enemy right on their tail? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's a little awkward to like well, be as explicit as that, but like that's, you know, that that's eight days, it's eight days journey. Like, right. Just to emphasize that the other thing, the other kind of payoff of emphasizing that a little bit more, which I think is worth it also is to emphasize the accomplishment of ML deer, right? Like, yeah, what she does is non-trivial. Like she performs this relatively low key, but deeply heroic act of getting them there and succeeding in leading them down to and through the pass and out of Dorthonian. Um, and if, if, if it's, if people aren't really getting, um, uh, if people aren't really getting how, um, uh, what a big undertaking that is, you know, it won't be properly, appreciated um the other thing that was related similarly to the distance i loved the scene of andreth in the distance Mm. but it felt like a guilty pleasure because i was like how would she be that close wouldn't they be like, I mean, they're running away from armies coming from the north. Wouldn't they be hugging the southern mountains as much as they could and then going down through the past? Like, how could Andreth possibly be in sight range of where Angrod and, uh, yeah, Angrod and I, I Well, okay. So, a few things. One being that um, the terrain that's going underneath the nameplate there, the Tower Nufun na- nameplate, can be whatever we want it to be, right? So they could have been guided to where they are by the terrain. Right, um, sure. sure. That Angrod and Ignor see them crossing a hilltop from, you know, 30, 40 miles away. It, you know, if they're crossing a hilltop and they're also on an elevated position... I don't have a huge problem with it. I mean, I think Legolas does something very, very similar. In, oh, yeah. I mean, like elf eyes, yeah. you know, right. I've said, like that can work, yeah. right? It's... And Andreth is is not, while the cinematography might lead you to believe that Andreth can actually see them, she's probably just looking in looking the direction, in direction of yeah. where yeah. she knows Ignor probably is. Right. She certainly can't see him personally no. from where she is. Yeah, absolutely. No, no and of course, even like with... With Finrod also, I mean, we get a lot of like, you know, uh, Jane Eyre-esque, our hearts are connected over the distance uh, yeah. kind of business here. Yes. Not with them, of course, with Finrod chiefly uh, and his brothers. Yeah. But um, uh, um, but anyway, so I mean, we're already kind of uh, 
playing that card, uh, you know, that connected over the distance kind yeah. of card. And so, like I said, I did, I, I'm not saying I did, I, I did not, I, 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 I opposite of disliked it. I really enjoyed that scene. It was very touching. Uh, but, but again, I was, I was, I was just feeling a twitch. I'm like, eh, yeah, it's, yeah. We it's, just have to make sure that the, that the, the geography can, would make that happen. Right. I, I think it's really the only, you know, and maybe, one reference earlier on, um, kind of like the, not as much, but kind of like the Barahir thing where they're looking for Finrod, you know, an evidence of Finrod's coming. Um, if Angrod and Ignor could say earlier, I mean, they don't, have, it's, I mean, obviously they're so not exactly this, right? But basically if they could have an exchange, which essentially boils down to, um, we have to hold out until, like, the, the you know, <clears throat> the House of Beor is going to be fleeing from Ladros. And if we flee, they have that conversation, right? And if we flee, then they're going to get toasted. Mm-hmm. But, like, if there could be something which even gestures towards, like, and we'll know that, you know, they have gotten out when we see them, you know, like, keep an eye over there. Because if they cross, they're going to have to cut across that right there, that ridge, and we'll know. Because it just seems really serendipitous. Mm-hmm. Like... Oh, yeah. if only the House of Bear will say, oh, look, there they are. Guess they're safe. Okay. Like, it, it felt a little serendipitous, right? Whereas, again, if we could, if we do manipulate the terrain such that there's like a, you know, a, a, a trail on the mountainside that they would have to be crossing to head towards the Pass of Anach and the and Ignor and Angrod know that, they can even, like, post somebody to be watching, you know, to, to tell them when the, you know, the House of Bear is clear. Um, uh, of Ladros, um, I don't know. Like I guess it, it doesn't. Ha- there doesn't have to be a massive intrusion into the plot. But if there were something like that, I'd feel a little more comfortable with it. Do you see I'll, what I mean? I'll take a. I'll take a look at it. One, I don't necessarily know that Ignor and Angrod would necessarily assume that the people of Ladros would be evacuating en masse. We don't, they don't really know much about Well, I mean, they could think they're all dead already, of course. Yeah, right, right. So, so there's that. Um, But that's kind of the only other option, isn't there? Right. You know, option one, they're all, they're all smoldering heaps of, of, of debris at this point. Option two, they're fleeing for the Pass of Anak, right? I mean, what other option is there? Yeah. So, I mean, so, Yes. I mean, I mean well, we for can, them to come I'll, past them where they are, which they haven't done. I'll so. I'll see if I can work some kind of reference to it um, earlier in, in the the first scene as well. Um, so because yeah. of where Ladros is on the map, the idea that Ignar and Angren have to hold out to help the people of Ladros doesn't make any sense unless they are retreating behind them. So yes. having some indication that they're there is necessary for our story mm. um if the first indication is hey we see him right over there that's an indication like that does its job but if we had some kind of advanced warning like it's not completely unreasonable that Ladros would have sent a messenger to ignar and Angron to mm. let them know what's happening yes um because yes. yeah they could have re- yeah they could be retreating to the pass of anak or they could be going to Kelogorm's lands like there's really no reason but that to... involves going at least a little bit north and you know fire. no no, no. Fire. Fire. <laughs> down it, it it's down it's, to... it's rougher terrain but it's 
Okay. Mm. So they could direct. go down like by Dordinen and, and well, the Pass of Aglon? Do. Huh? Yeah, the orcs do it later. The orcs do it. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's it's doable. It's just it's rougher terrain and you end up in an empty territory. Right. And um, Forest of so Brethel is a safe place. The, right. the only other things that we haven't been to Ladros yet. Um, it, so maybe that might be a better way to close out that um that scene um i'm just scrolling back up to see where the like do we go directly from ignore and angrod's first scene to um to the scene at ladras we do so maybe that could actually be a a, a softer transition then um if they make some sort of reference to that so and i do okay. agree that there's no reason that um you know bar here wouldn't send one person to go communicate with angrod and ignore and tell them we're headed for the pass of anach um fyi that's you know we're going to be behind you <clears throat> i mean they could even i mean they could even send up a signal right i mean they could even i don't know shoot a flaming arrow in the air to say like, hey, look, here we are. We've gone past. Retreat. Um, or similarly, Angrod and Ignor could do the same. They could send a message to the Ladros and say, get out, take the Pass of Anach, we'll hold them off as long as we can, let us know when you're clear. Why wouldn't they do that? Um, they might, but that would... If that message, well, I mean, the very next scene, we're we're having that conversation, right. so not, not enough time. I feel like that might take some of the air out of that conversation because that whole thing centers around well, what you know, what are we going to do? Right. Um, and of right. course, I I believe one hundred percent that there's not enough that when we get to that scene in Ladros, that this messenger that they're talking about in the immediately previous scene has not reached them, right. but it's going to kind of look. Like it's people are going to kind of feel like they were given that message, even if there's no way they could have. The the issue, the question is who's making the decisions, mm. and is Ignar Nangrad telling Ladros what to do and being like humans go do this, mm. or is the leadership of Ladros making the decision of what to do right, right. now? Well, and I, we've we've definitely portrayed it as Ladros is independent and the humans oh, make yeah. their own choices for themselves. Oh, yeah. Um, no, so the, but but the thing is like <laughs> it's not about authority though. It's about like the people who are sacrificing their lives to let you escape are the ones who get to make that call, <laughs> right? I mean, if the people of Ladros are saying like, okay, guys, you're doing great. Just keep it up for a while longer. Take a little bit longer to die so we can escape. Lovely. Thank you so much. Then it's awkward, right? Whereas yeah. if it's initiated by those who are sacrificing themselves, it comes out much better. <laughs> that, that's, all I'm, that's all I'm saying there. Um, but, um, uh, but but I agree. I mean, anyway, there's not really time for messengers to go back and forth between them anyway. Um, not only is there not time um, in this in the episode, there's not time in real life. Right. I mean, uh, it's a long trip. Um, so 
I was only thinking of a messenger just to have it said in front of the audience, essentially, yeah. so that there would be some sense that it would be or could potentially be known, um, even if the message could not ever actually be delivered. But, um, you know, I don't know. Um, it's it's not like um, it's not like Dorothonian has like, um, you know, fire escape maps on it or something, you know, like they've they've, you know, right. run fire drills in the past. You know, here's what happens in case of lava explosion from the north. Um, you know, you guys go over here and we'll hold them back over here. It's not like they planned this exactly. But um, we but do we have, have Ignor and Angrod deliberately doing it. Right. Um, we could have, there's, during the retreat of the of the men of Ladras, we could have an elf messenger reach that group of refugees. And I know that at one point we have Baron report back to his father about mm-hmm. how the refugee status is going. Yes. And he could, in that report, say, and they've heard word from Agnar and Angrod, who still stands, you know. Yes. Yeah, actually, that would be good in the Baron. So, so, uh, yes, yes. The question is, is that seen before or after? That's after they're dead. Yeah, but that's the point is messengers get delivered. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it would show some of the chaos of battle or it would confuse the audience. But no, I kind of like it. I kind of like it, you know, that they're going to like, yes. Um, Yeah, actually, I do kind of like that, that they're already dead. Like the audience knows they're already dead. Baron doesn't know they're already dead. But they know they're going to be, you know, so like they hear the message that they are going to they are going to stand and delay the enemy as long as they can. And that's even more ominous if the audience has already seen them die. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Um, So so if we're going to send the messenger, it would be in the scene where Agnar decides to stay with his brother. And it would be like, oh, there's humans over there on the ridge. Send a messenger out to tell them we'll stay as long as we can. And I like, actually, I like. That way the messenger who gets sent is the one elf who survived. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. And and I actually like that, like, even just the drawing attention to the humans on the ridge over there thing. So that it just doesn't sound like complete serendipity in that moment. Hmm. It was the serendipity of it that was kind of making me twitch a little bit so well i mean i don't know tolkien's pretty rife with that kind of serendipity the the scene in which uh, baron and baron uh, baron here and baron have uh the conversation about like kind of what's happening in the world and getting reports back and stuff like that um at that point barry here already has uh scouts operating in Dor- northern dorthonian um which is kind of necessary because they need to be doing that in order for um, for Andoril, not Andoril, Narsil to make it to Emildir um, by the end of the episode. By the end of episode thirteen, so like they, there's having a messenger come up and say it, say at that point that hey you know we're holding out for you up there in the north where everything is clearly burned down and you have scouts reporting that it has not gone well Um, but um, it it would establish that the elves had sent a messenger to the refugees earlier and by the time Barry here is getting the report of this it's obviously 
way after the fact. It's an old message. Yeah. So it would show the lack of communication. And it would remind the audience about Agnar and Angrand who are dead and why they died, why their sacrifice yeah. meant. Well, I mean, keep in mind, it's been days at this point because Emildir yeah. is reaching the Pass of Anak here. So, uh -huh. and there's been enough time for Barry here to send scouts up to Dorthonian and for them to come back. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, we're not talking about like this is, this Elven messenger has been doubly beaten by human scouts. I see. I in see. occupied territory. Like, right. Right. No, I agree. No, no, that... I, I was not suggesting that we see the Elven Messenger interact with Emildir. I was saying that Baron would say an elf came from the north. He heard it. from the refugees that they heard from yeah. an elf. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's all that's happening here. He's just relaying yeah. the tale Which is from the refugees. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean... Okay. So Baron is reporting to Bear here that he heard from somebody that they heard from an elf. Exactly. A few days earlier. Okay. Exactly. Which is just how it would work. <laughs> and it, and so that's, that's the most current word. information they have. Yeah. That was the last word they received from the stronghold. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's the last it, thing that you could know what be I mean? The last message that got out was that message. Yeah, no, I mean, I hear you, Nick, but it's actually one of the things that I like about it. You know, I mean, it's to, to, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, Nick. <laughs> You're putting this thing that doesn't make any sense. It'll it's not a huge everyone deal. Who hears this line. Yes, please, we really felt line. that it was it was too clear, <laughs> and we want more confusion and misunderstanding. That's that's what, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if we could possibly make it muddier and more confusing, we, that's what we would like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool beans. <laughs> I thought you'd love it. I thought you'd love it. Um, yeah. Um, great. Well, I'm, I'm glad that's settled. That's good. Um, so let's, let's, let's move off of Dorothonian. Over on the Western Front. Okay. Um, so this is where let me go. Uh, having gone rid of my other maps, I think everything here is pretty clear, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things, Nick, one of the most interesting choices on the Western Front, uh, you know, scenes in the script, I thought, was the um, like when Fingen goes through and names everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a like super ominous feeling when that was happening. I'm like. They're all gonna die. <laughs> 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 like, that was that was. I just. Oh man, that was like the most ominous scene in the entire episode. Really. Yes. Um, uh, I was just Actually, like, I uh, one of them's gonna die. It's fine. Are we? Are we? Are we getting battle. a chance to kiss them all goodbye right here? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. man, this is awful. Yeah, I got to write two inspiring speeches in this uh, in this episode. It was fun. And so that one, as you say, I was kind of uh, borrowing a little bit from some of the things that Henry V does by naming, you know, my mm -hmm. fair cousin Westmoreland and all the, right, like, right, right. he starts naming people. And so that's what I was going for there. Uh, Fingolfin's speech, I pretty much almost lifted whole cloth out of a speech that Napoleon gave. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 one hundred percent, and it's it come it works under the circumstances. But yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yes, I'm a huge word thief. So 
Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, so you're a writer, in other words. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's cool. Um, so no, I I, I I liked it. I, I uh, again, apart from the fact that I was sure they were all going to die, um, I I quite liked it. That's that's the point. That's that, that's yeah. really what I'm going after. There is kind of giving the people the idea that oh, we're we're saying goodbye to these people, you know, and we are in fact saying goodbye to one of them, but. It's not the one you think you're saying goodbye to at the time. Right. Now, at the bottom of this document, you did just a very brief illustration of what happened in the final battle at the end, which is great because that was one of the things I was having the hardest time picturing. So in in that final scene with Fingolfin's army, um, things have been going really well. They've charged their way across and they've been cutting through. And so we have them actually engaged with an yeah. army here, right? So we've got an orc yeah. army here, and um, tactically speaking, Fingolfin is in a great position. Oh, like, yeah. His infantry yeah. Now, is driving them back. We've yes. got the cavalry on either side, you know, and the two wings of cavalry, and they've got yes. things well in hand, right? Yes. And that's when the Balrogs show up. Yes. The Balrogs yes. that I'd forgotten about uh, for yes. the last half hour. Yes. Yes. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so yeah, that's when the AI cheese. <laughs> yes, Stephen. Yes. Yes. I I have played I've played enough Age of um, Age of Empires to know that the AI absolutely does cheat when you're doing too well. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah so essentially what happens here is um is that so fingolfin has this massive army of orcs just compacting on themselves right they're like tripping over themselves to get away um and things as you say are going really well and as he's having a conversation with uh, Fingen about where they're going to go next because Fingen wants to just take it right to Thangorodrim. Right. Thangorodrim is straight north from here. Um, and Fingolfin's thinking, yeah, but we could go down to, the, to, to Dorthonian and see if anybody's still alive down there. And right. I'm sure they could really use the help. <laughs> um, right. And uh, right about that time, Gothmog gets there fr- fresh for, from the conquest of Torthonian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the uh, Fingen's heavy cavalry tries to kind of slow them down, but Gothmog and his uh, troll guard just kind of, like, blast through them. Um, and Galdor and Gundor try to come around from the uh from the north side and they get intercepted by a bunch of war riders who are basically just going to keep them busy mm-hmm. so that they can't um they can't flank Gothmog's army that's coming up mm-hmm. which is essentially like what you want your cavalry to do is right. is uh is either flank the enemy or stop the enemy cavalry from doing that right 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 um What happened to Angrod and Ignor's banners? Let me ask this question in another way. Are they trampled into the mud? Is that what you're asking? That's part of what I'm asking. 
Or alternatively, is Gothmog like wearing them as a bandana or something? Like, is there going to be any evidence that he? I mean, couldn't you see Gothmog kind of doing that? Like, like I've got uh, I've got the the bloody banners of Angrod and Ignor as a sash around me as I as I approach. Like, I'm just saying, just wondering. Um, I believe we depicted the torn, bloody banners in the wreckage right on the ground yeah 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 mostly to avoid having to show too much of the bloody broken dead bodies dismembered corpses yes yeah right i mean the idea was you can artistically show a fallen banner in ways that you cannot artistically show a fallen corpse well especially i mean there's not going to be so much like yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's just say that Ignor is going to be having a closed casket funeral, right? I mean, for crying yeah. out loud. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. So from that point of view, we we know that we're not going to show everything. Um, there's going to be a lot of leaving that up to the audience to figure out what the um, dead bodies look like on their right. own. Right. Um, so the banners are kind of necessary for the dressing of the scene mm. to stand in for the characters a little bit. Uh, when we return to it after their deaths. So from that point of view, I need those banners there. Now, right. these guys well, can have more than one banner. So if or, we but I mean, or they could have picked them up okay. after we saw them lying there, right? I mean, like... People who are coming to the scene later. Oh, oh, oh after we, okay. we have to recover Narsal. Oh, right, we do have to recover Narsal, yeah. So right. someone is going to stand there and see... Right, and, yeah. the, and while, yes, they could have more than one banner the audience is not going to pick up on, oh, no, that must be a different banner. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, that's true. I would, so I'd prefer not to use the banner as the um, sign that he's defeated them. But if he wants to claim something from them and take it as a souvenir. I just like, can't help even it. On his, on his wrists. I just yeah, can't like help hand. but think you know, of. Just lop off a hand and take that, well, that with you yeah. and be like, look, I've got a hand. I can't I help mean, but think of Kella Brimbor's corpse. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah, the I mean, course. they're not yeah. above that kind of thing. And and I would have to right. think part of the like uh, Gothmog has to be hoping to not just drive off, but significantly discourage Fingolfin and his army. Right. So uh-huh. for him to come up with saying like, hey, look, I got your nephews right here or what's left of them. Right. Something like that. But I was trying to avoid the whole like, I'm going to like corpse. carry their corpses on a pole. Okay. Uh, kind well, of thing. There's, always, there's always the bundle of heads. Yeah. No, no. OK. So like they probably wear circlets, which they weren't wearing during the battle because they had their helmets on. But in general, there are circlets somewhere in that fortress. Right. And, you know, a circlet that fits on an elf probably fits on Gothmog's wrist. So if he's wearing circlets that used to be elven crowns over his armor, whatever he, whatever armor he has on his wrist, I don't know. Do, God, do Balrogs have armor? They must have armor, right? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I... They're on fire, so I don't, I'm a little confused as to their uh, need for defense, but... Yeah. I'm assuming they have something. I mean, they wear they wear clothes, right? They're not just like on fire with nothing. Probably. Um, right. They probably have something. So it's clothed in shadow there. or something. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like they wear it's it's, it's fire and shadow. So like, fire and shadow. Yeah, like is what there is a costume? right? I mean, when Gothmog holds out his hand, what do you see? 
like flesh? Do you see flesh? Like, does he have flesh? Presumably, he has flesh. He can die, right? Yeah. Uh, and He's will gonna. die. He sure is. Yeah. We're going to show his death scene. So, yeah, I'm yeah. assuming we we're having enough of a body to put armor on it, which means we could decorate it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just, it, A, he seems like the kind of jerk who would take trophies, but B, it seems like part of the tactical situation, right? To, to intimidate, you know, and to say, you know, and, and of course, especially since this is the, not the necessarily the immediate lead up to, but this is the proximate lead up to Fingolfin's despair, or at least his temptation to despair, right? Um, he is going to be facing despair here soon. And so, I, it felt like it was important. It's important in some way for him to be confronted with the fact of the destruction. Like the leaguer is broken. Like he can't. He can't fool himself into thinking that they held out in Dorthonian. Like clearly, um, Angrod and Ignor are both dead. Um, and as far as they know, the sons of uh, Feanor are, are dead too. Like they would have no evidence to the contrary at that point, and some reason to think it because. They presumably well. We'll worry about that in episode thirteen. What, what they learn about the Eastern Front, but um, anyway. I uh, so yeah, some kind of trophies to really rub in Fingolfin's face that Dorthonian is gone and Angrod and Ignor are dead. Um, seem like a good idea. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Um, uh, so, um, what was I going to say? Uh, we're going back to... Right, it's actually the Sons of Feanor I want to really follow here. So let's go to the Eastern Front. Um, all right, so we've got the three separate Feanorian engagements... Kelgorm mm-hmm. and Kurafin in the past, both on their cavalry with their cavalry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time we've met warg riders. Yes. Well, Second. no. Yeah. We introduced warg riders when uh, Rogren escaped from Angband, uh, and right. Hador came up to save him. There was one band of like thirty of them that Hador's guys had to take out. Yeah. So that's the only time we've ever seen them before. This is the first time we're seeing them at army levels. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. And the um, first time we've seen them go up against Noldor and heavy cavalry. Right. Right. They're super um, effective. Yes. They're super effective. Absolutely. Um, uh, at the, a very apt uh, um, parallel there, as it is exactly like, you know, uh, using the proper Pokemon type against the other proper Pokemon type to oppose mm-hmm. cavalry with wolves is a really, really good plan. <laughs> so, yes, uh, very much exploiting the weakness there. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. And so then we have... So the um, the battle situation with Caligorm and Kurafin is relatively simple, right? They're there in the past... Um, they're they're out because they're cavalry, right? So they're they're not sitting behind walls. They're out, and then they meet the war riders in the field, and they get into big trouble, and they end up fleeing, more or less in disarray, back to the walls, 
and then flanked from Ladros as the orcs mm-hmm. come through from there. Um, uh, Did the then Horn, Drogluin, uh loved it uh, tease work for you it did it did yes um uh yes like one of those moments when like the two people almost meet on the battlefield and then don't uh setting up the battle for later on yes yes um um providing drow gluen the opportunity to taunt huon later on uh you know uh, um for because drow gluen's army defeated Huan's army, you know, on the field that day. So he's got some things to, they can have a lovely canine conversation. You know, they can be mm. speaking dog with subtitles or whatever. Walking around each other. Yeah, right, in exactly. Circles, like, exactly. Uh, like, like Simba and Scarn. <laughs> land of exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, I was, I, I was seeing all kinds of fun setup possibilities. So I did like that. Um, also, by the way, um, it was, I think, that moment, the Draugluin moment, was really the the only moment when it became obvious that Sauron was like part of the party here. Like yeah. there was, we've not, we, you know, we don't see Sauron at all anywhere in the battle, um, and nor did we see any of his captains. Of course, Tevildo is dead, but um, the you know, uh, uh, you know, Draugluin and Thorin Gwethel are there. Um, yeah. One of the things, Nick, I was thinking when you were describing the like wide angle flyover shots was it makes me think of Thorin Gwethel. Last time we got flyover yeah. shots it was Thorin Gwethel, yeah. right? Yeah. Um so it's yes. kind of that, but but again like that didn't end up explicitly materializing anyway. So I, I had one little tiny niggle asking like what's Sauron up to? Is is this like the Gothmog show? The Dagoraglareb was the Gothmog show. Right? Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons why it went poorly. So the evidence of, uh, no, this is, um, the boss is home. So this is, uh, this is, uh, uh, this is Morgoth's show. This is Morgoth's show. And everybody's in, is everybody's pitching into this, um, was, well, again, we don't see Sauron himself, but. Sauron was maybe not given the opportunity to choose the timing of this battle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's not very involved. And the only reason the warg riders are there is because he set that up earlier where he basically promised Bulldog, like, oh, so you, your guys are useless. Um, I guess you need some wolves. Let me help you out with that. Uh, so he kind of lent out his werewolves to Gothmog earlier in the season, and that's why there are warg riders now. So mm. he's insinuated himself into Gothmog's forces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but that's it. So yeah, that is his only involvement in this because Gothmog's keeping Sauron out. Right. There is a scene where he makes an appearance in episode thirteen, um, where he is go. So basically, um, Sauron and my my Thoros are going to give opposing breakdowns of what's just happened. Uh, both saying, and this is terrible for our side. Okay. You know, okay. like they're they're both going to kind of come to that conclusion, and then we're gonna. So episode thirteen is gonna have a lot more Sauron in it because he's also okay. in the in the the final scenes as well. Right. Um, right. Yeah, he's important there. Yeah. Um, okay. I had I had toyed with 
the idea of having him lead the assault on Himring because I really needed somebody who could talk and taunt Mithros. Um, but that got shut down. So Sorgorgol makes his first appearance. So Okay, so um, on the subject of Gorgol, um, what's Bulldog doing? Don't we already have a orc dude to talk yes, when we need a talking in, orc dude? Somebody, somebody thought he would be better used um, f- fighting Finrod in uh, the Fens of Sarek. Oh. And he cannot right. be in both of those places. Yeah. Somebody did say that, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Darn it. Should have known it was my fault. Um, <laughs> it's always your fault, Corey. It's always my fault. Now, to be fair, Baldog doesn't play a major role in that battle at the Fens of Sarek. Like, his his presence there is not super important. Like, they capture Gwyndor's brother. Ooh. Um, so, maybe... It's going to be a good payoff prob- for that. The other problem is that Baldog has been... Like, he's lost every engagement he's been involved in. Like, every time we show Baldog on the field, he loses. Right. And so it would be kind of nice to not do that this time. Uh, so giving it to, to Gorbald, because, you know, you, you know, the path to promotion among the works is to lose a major battle against um, against the elves. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to be the yeah. captain of the Washington Generals. It really is. You know, I mean, yes. like, that's that's... Sorry, that's probably maybe too obscure a reference for some. The team that goes around playing against the Globetrotters to lose all the time uh, is called the Washington Generals. So yeah. it's not a great gig being the captain of the Washington Generals. And that's, it, you're right. I mean, that's like the life of an orc general, right? Uh, right? Except less so in the Silmarillion. You win a pretty significant percentage of your engagements in the well, Silmarillion. From on, yes, but, yes. From this yeah. point on, you do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Up until now, they haven't done so great. It's true. But it's true. This battle is where that changes. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yeah. Okay. Um, so, why did people not want that to be Sauron? Because I can definitely see the attraction of the particular taunts. I mean, I, I was feeling a little bit that those particular taunts, like the Jail Crow taunt, was weaker than it might have been, coming out of the mouth of a random orc I'd never met before. Um, what's the argument for not having it be Sauron? I'm pretty sure you're the one who wanted Sauron <laughs> to not be involved in the Dog of Rogalak. I'm pretty My sure we took him again. out because you decided not to have him there. If okay. you're thinking that maybe that's not important and we could have him involved, then it, while we maintain his frustration with the whole thing, I don't know. I mean, now that we've decided to have him frustrated, he's he's an outsider voice. And we his final note for the season is Margoth doesn't know what he's doing. Right, right. And we... And, I need to do this myself. Like that's where he's getting to at the end of right. next episode. And that's why we're going to see season six open with him taking Tilsirian. So, I mean, on so, the other hand, it's not get to the point. And, yeah. and, and it would also be similar to the arguments that you made against having him involved in the Dagoraglareb way back 
in the beginning mm-hmm. because like why is he now suddenly equipped with an enormous army of orcs right mr yeah. military captain yes yes right right whereas when we set that up in uh, season six we can definitely do the work of having him ask for a, a force to take on ministerial right and and i if we're getting to him in the next episode then i'll be happier with the way that that's mm-hmm. coming out because I, I agree his important trajectory. We don't want to really show Sauron the company man, right? Yes. We're showing Sauron the outsider who is cooperating because, you know, the boss ordered this, right? This is Morgoth's show, this battle. Um, um, and this is no Dagor Aglareb, right? This is not Gothmog just making a hash of things. Um, right. This is... Uh, this is panning out <laughs> reasonably well. This is a this yeah. is a well executed offensive here, yeah. Um, but um, yeah. Anyway, um, I was just trying to think for a second if there was any other candidate for the Gorgol role, but I guess yeah. not really. It, 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 if there was anybody, <laughs> which happily put them there, um, I mean, it could be Baldog. It's just that, like, I don't want to signal too heavily to the audience that this is the that Myverus has this in the back. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and no, I had forgotten. Um, I had forgotten about Bulldog in the Fence of Serech anyway. Mm. Um, and I do like the idea of that because again, if we don't have any captains you know if it's just a gang of orcs at the fens of mm. Sarek, um then it makes finrod look really weak right yeah i mean he faces the he, he's the only one who faces no you know no captains of the bad guys all he faces is like a miscellaneous route of orcs and still gets his butt kicked right i mean right. It, like oh great i'm so glad we were waiting on those reinforcements that was that was that yeah. was great guys um so having some significant strength there yeah. to oppose him seems and, good and drogloon is there which like drogloon is not we've not shown him as a military commander or anything like that but having it gives Gorgal a little bit he's more got stature. muscle behind yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's got stature. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're just, they're really, we have a lot of fronts for bad guys to be at. Our bad guy pool is, is uh, our, our talent pool for the bad guys is spread pretty thin across this yes. battlefield. Yeah. You also didn't want Sauron to lose. Um, right. And obviously, Himring's not going to fall. Right. Right. So, if we put Sauron there, and then Mithras defends against Sauron, like, yay, Mithras, that's really cool and all. But I don't think that helps the the character arc you wanted for Sauron. Right. Nor the character arc we want for Luthien, uh, for the matter of that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> if Mithras beat <laughs> yeah. him first, then it's like <laughs> right. We don't want we don't want Mithras to soften him up and then Luthien to take him down. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, he should be. We do need to make sure that Sauron looks like he is at the apex of his arc when Luthien takes him down, or right. else we're going to be undermining Luthien. 
Um, yeah, now, I mean, if you wanted to put Sauron in the fence of Sarek, then you've got a Sauron versus Finrod teaser for next season. Um, mm-hmm. but, didn't, but Nick, don't you have, uh, don't you, right, setting up the, 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 the Dungalef thing, and yeah. uh, and of course the with the with the Minas Tirith connection, you know the 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 mm-hmm. tall Syrian thing, yeah, that would seem relevant. But Nick, didn't you need him over there, Sauron? Weren't you planning on him over there, Sauron, on he the Eastern Front? Be, no, he needs, he needs to be in Angband in by Angband. the end of episode thirteen. Which oh, by the well, no, by the end of thirteen. But didn't you weren't you talking about a scene where he and Mithros are both talking about the tactical situation? And no. No, no, no! They're not talking to each other. They're oh no, I, I know not to scenes. each other, but but yeah, okay. But so he's he, he's an Angband at the time when that right. happens. I, okay, right. okay, okay. I wasn't understanding that. I thought you had him over on the Eastern Front, Sauron. No. Okay. Um. Hmm. Well, that would be a little bit better conservation of our bad guys. Yeah. To put, um, uh, to put bulldog. Over at him right now. Now Sauron's still going to lose because Finrod's going to escape the Finrod. But it's going to be. He no, he's going to beat Finrod, right? I mean. He's going to beat Finrod, but then Bear Here's guys are going to come out of the hills. And that's right. That. But the 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 mission of the forces at the Fens of Sarek is, is a defensive one. And don't let the, the, the guys from Minas Tirith penetrate north into Ard Gallon, and they don't. Right. So Not only that, does he succeed in holding the line, but he almost captures Finrod too, right. um, and would have done if you know not for those pesky wasn't kids. For the meddling, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Right. That's it. Um, yes. Uh, but speaking of which, by the way, I forgot to say I absolutely love the idea of uh, the uh, disreputable elder and the singing elder being <laughs> being among those who stay to defend Ladros. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I really like the idea of giving. Uh, Bregolus, a a sacrificial moment. He's doing everything he dreamed about doing. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. No, that was uh, um, that was that was cool. Um, but um, anyway, cool. All right. So um, also the other thing I would say as far as Bulldog's military reputation is concerned, having him at Himring, um, it's not. Well, I don't know how exactly you're planning to run this, but it's not like Himring is going to be like a hideous, crushing defeat. It's not like he's, his forces yeah. are going to be annihilated. He's just going to not take the castle, right? Right. Um, and eventually he's going to withdraw. So that's that's not the same thing as like, and, you know, then pe- somebody's going to mop the floor with Bulldog again, right, to make him really look weak. Um, yeah. In the end, I think it's really just going to make Mytheros look strong, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, um as I'm sure Marie would agree. Uh, so, um, right. Then we have the, uh, uh, um, Moglor Carinthier situation. Um, and we already talked about this, some um, in connection with Glaurung, of course. Um, mm. uh, so that seems, by the way, it was one of the low key surprising things to me was how you played Mithros at the siege. Um, 
how Mythros was like Mr. Cool and Collected uh, under attack. I thought that was really cool. Um, I was not expecting that. I was not expecting give, give that. Give it some time. Give it some yeah. time. Yeah. It's, it's, it, hopefully what you should be seeing is kind of like this this slowly rising like you can start to see it kind of boiling out mm-hmm. the the wrath that's going to mm-hmm. spill over all over a bunch of people uh, yeah. in episode 13 i loved at, at it this point, yeah at this point in time Mytheris has been prepared for this attack for 400 years yeah. so <laughs> in the preparation stage he's still in I, I know exactly what i have to do and and i'm putting all my pieces in place so he he's being the practical focused leader type at this juncture. In the heat of battle, things might be a little different. Yeah, no, I I, I loved it. I loved it. The um, the um, uh, the calm uh, um, the calm confidence. Uh, you know, as everyone else is beginning to panic, and and that 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 sense of like. It's not even the sense of like I have a devious plan that you don't know about yet, but um, I mean there was a little bit of a sense of that, but just the like I have this under control, like I am, you know, I I I, I really liked it, but I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting something a little more fiery from Mythros, uh there. So, but I, was, I, I I thought that was nice. I thought it worked really well. It's coming. Yeah, and one of the things that I was looking to communicate was this: some is somebody who is well prepared, someone who's done his homework, uh, someone who is a good commander to his people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the, his interactions with the with the scout at the beginning, I, I feel like right. I wanted to really sell this idea of of who he is to his people, mm-hmm. right? Um, because the people following him, they're amongst the most fanatical of available, right? right. And I love so the grandsons of, of Amlach, by the way. Yeah, mm, yeah, fun. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was great. I was great. No, I, I, I loved it. I, I, I really liked the depiction of Mythros. It was one of my favorite things. So I just wanna, I just wanna watch the movements of the sons of Feanor, in particular, in conjunction with the rest. Right, mm-hmm. so this is our our first position right before the battle begins, which we talked about, and then we have, um, right, Kurafin and Kelgor moving forward and engaging mm-hmm. with the enemy, and then still at the gap, uh, our Maglor and Karanthir, and this is when Fingolfin is still at Mithrim, so we're still waiting. They're still waiting for his reinforcements, and the retreat from Ladros has begun. Then now. Uh, Barahir and company are out and the refugees have passed through the Pass of Anak, right? Um, Ignor and uh, Angrod are both dead. Fingolfin is ready to charge. And we have now Kelgorm and Kurafin have retreated. But Maglor and and uh, Karanthir are still not yet. And Finrod is on his way, but he's not there yet. And then... We've got the offensive here by Fingolfin and his troops. Finrod arrives at Tall Syrian, and now Karanthir has re- they've Maglor and Karanthir have retreated in separate directions, um, and we have just Mythros alone there in the middle, with Amras still 
down here with the hipster Noldor uh, down in Thargelion, right? Okay, um, and that's yeah, that was four. So that was that's yep. where we are at the end of episode at the end of episode twelve. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, I'm tracking with that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Oops, sorry. Okay, good. I think, I think that was all my questions about uh, about the Eastern Front. Okay, so we're 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 ready. We're going to leave this in suspense for four weeks until we mm-hmm. come back to the Dagor Bragalach, because um, our next session, uh, session forty, is going to be two weeks from now on the 7th of October and we're going to be talking about music. We're going to be looking at some of the music that has been composed here for season five. Um, Philip Menzies is going to be showcasing the work that he did for the, the soundtrack for this season and also um, uh, Tony Mead is going to join us to uh, talk about the uh, um, the Into the West song, the uh, song from the House of Bayor at the, at the beginning of, uh, of the season as well. Um, so we're going to be discussing the music. I always look forward to the music episode. Uh, uh, so that'll be happening next time. And then back to the finale, the last episode, and the last session, right? That will be, that will be so we have, after tonight, two more sessions uh, in season five. Um, and then we can finally indulge ourselves in thinking about Baron and Luthien uh, <laughs> for, <laughs> for after that. So, fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thanks everybody for joining me here today. This was, uh, uh, this was great. Nick, great work on the script for this episode. This was really cool. Of course, um, I think you got to write less dialogue than anybody else <laughs> because there was so much of it was action description. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but that was actually really challenging uh, in its way, I think, because um, it, uh, you know, all the different like cuts and uh, sequences of things to, you know, mm-hmm. figure out how you're going to convey the overall narrative of the uh, of the session, I think, is, uh, um, you know, of the uh, of the episode, rather, I think is really challenging. But anyway. You did an excellent job. I really enjoyed this script. Thank you. So, uh, uh, so thank you guys, and we will see you guys in two weeks. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed. <laughs>